listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest today is Igor. Uh, his most recent work published in English is uh, Baobab? Baobab? Yes. Uh, from the Coconino line with Fanographics as well from Drawn and Quarterly, Five is the Perfect Number, and back in the 80s I have uh, Dulled Feelings 
from Catalan um, as well many 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 more books in English or in, uh, in Italian or in French I guess your latest is it the Ukrainian diaries yes yes is the Ukrainian notebooks I'm working now on the Russian notebooks which would be like the second part of a reportage I've been traveling for uh, around two years in some places of uh, ex-Soviet Union so and also you've been doing uh, books on Fat Swaller with uh, Carlos Sampaio? Yes, exactly. Uh, is there anything else I may be missing? Uh, well, well I, it's uh, around 30 years that I'm publishing my books, so there are a lot of other books too. Yes, I, I have done uh, uh, The Alligator, which is uh, with uh, the novelist uh, Massimo Carlotto, which is published in uh, USA too. Is it? And uh, yes, yes, not oh. the book. Uh, the the novelist is oh, okay. his own regular <laughs> uh, thriller stories. And I have done this, and uh, that will be published next uh, in America too. And uh, uh, I'm working on this uh, kind of uh, new, uh, for me, new storytelling. I mean that when I went to Ukraine, uh, it was 2008. And uh, I was to I was supposed to realize uh, a book on Chekhov. Uh, I want to tell Chekhov stories, uh, Chekhov life through the houses that he lived in. Mm -hmm. And um, his dream was to to buy finally a house in uh, uh, Yalta uh, in Crimea. So my idea, my first idea, was to go in these uh, houses, the house in Tankarok, which is in Russia, very close to Ukraine, when, where he is uh, uh, living, and uh, uh, where he was uh, born, and after the, um, the other house, which was the last house, uh, this was just to begin the book, and uh, I agreed with the uh, with, um, publisher to realize this book. But once uh, I get to Ukraine uh, for some, uh, you, you know, logistic problem uh, with travelings, etc., I arrived, I landed in Kiev and I started uh, staying there and looking for uh, a translator to, to go to see the places and to find information. After a while I was very touched by this kind of uh, strange mood that I was feeling there. It was kind of sadness, uh, very... Uh, you could feel something, uh, you did not need to be too much, uh, that, that much uh, uh, sensitive to feel that there was something wrong or in a way something not going fine. There is a big uh, poverty there and uh, of course there is a very strong heritage of uh, structure that were connected with uh, <clears throat> the communist experience of Soviet Union mm -hmm. and all this has fallen down uh, uh, and uh, in a way it is uh, very very difficult for this country to rise again 
So little by little I was talking with people and during my stay when I was organizing to go south to Crimea, I started to feeling that maybe the book that I should uh, that I should write and draw uh, was something different. But uh, you know, <clears throat> for a storyteller, when you are used to when you're used to tell stories that you write and uh, you know more or less uh, how do you proceed it's very complicated because mm -hmm. uh, uh, I add in a way to reinvent completely my my approach uh, on storytelling it means that uh, I add basically to start to find people and I was uh, uh, bringing uh, my method and my work uh, like uh, the French Impressionists did uh, more than one century ago. It means en plein air. So bringing out from the studio. No? Yeah. I, I had to reinvent my approach that uh, means meant to go out from my studio, to go in the streets uh, with a camera, with a video camera, trying to uh, stop people that I simply met in the street and trying to ask them if they wanted to tell me their story how did they live the experience during all this period and for the young generation how did they feel about what was left after the fall of the Soviet Union and uh, this way little by little I start discovering a lot of even very tragic things uh, personal and, and collective tragic happenings I read there's someone had translated I guess 10 pages of it and I read that it yeah. was of a was it a young woman in 1932 and what they had to go through in order to eat um and it was quite amazing just the level of uh famine of hunger at that uh, point yes yes Sorry, sorry. Go on, please. Uh, well, it it's I guess kind of not really leading from that, but looking at that work, reading that, it really did strike me as very different uh, from the rest of your comics, because the rest feel very um, almost uh, conceptual, uh, just a lot of free flowing ideas, and this was very uh, narrative based very uh as you're saying like reportage where you're getting someone else's story and so i'm curious about that transition as an artist of how to separate uh, yourself in that kind of story you know it's different as it can be different uh, for uh, a movie director like Wim Wenders to do a documentary when you are used to do uh, fiction, fictional stories uh, in your movies. Mm -hmm. um, to me, simply, uh, I, I was shocked by seeing how terrible life of these people has been, and uh, um, being very, uh, like to say, uh, political open uh, and not conservative person, I. Uh, I was very shocked to learn that what was considered to be, in a way, uh, like a, a, a social experiment uh, for uh, 
equality and uh, evolution that was supposed to be the Russian communism. Mm -hmm. After all, has been uh, <clears throat> a very tragic experience for a lot of people. What I was uh, um, not discovering because I've heard about it, uh, even if it is kept still now not very popular or not very diffused, uh, what I was discovering was uh, that I was not interviewing people that um, lived difficult lives, but they were uh, practically the survivors of a genocide. Mm -hmm. uh, during two years, uh, Stalin decided that he wanted to punish the independent, uh, independentism of Ukraine, and he closed the frontiers and started deliberate to uh, create a hunger, a famine. So they uh, had nothing to eat, and it was uh, all the all the. Uh, even uh, all the food and everything that you can use to do uh, bread uh, or anything was confiscated systematically. People was put out from the houses and they have uh, in this way put to death uh, from uh, 6 to 10 millions people, one quarter of the whole population of Ukraine of the time. And uh, uh, it is a, a pretty dramatic experience when you are interviewing people that start remembering this and they are start shaking and, uh, you know, the voices start mm -hmm. to be a little bit broken, they start crying. It was very, very, uh, not, uh, it, it was impossible not to be involved and touched by all this. Yeah, and uh, so of course my storytelling is different because uh, my purpose when I was trying to uh, understand if I could tell if I could give voice to these people. Uh, <clears throat> by the way, in uh, in uh, Canada there is a very strong uh, Ukrainian community that has done a very good work to diffuse these informations because even now. Uh, publishers in Ukraine are afraid to publish the book because we are talking about a topic that is uh, in a way denied and the new government does not like too much to speak mm -hmm. about it. Um, it depends if the, you know, if the government is close or not so close to Russia. Yeah. This is uh, uh, the point because Russia uh, don't want to uh, uh, accept, does not want to accept now the fact that it, it was a genocide. And this is the point that even in the United Nations people are discussing and trying to put, but you, as you know well, uh, Russia has the power of veto. Yes. Yeah. After war uh, conventions. So, <clears throat> it's for me, it was very, very difficult even to uh, understand if I was uh, uh, able to tell uh, such a dramatic story. And uh, this second book uh, is uh, very complicated because it talks about the Russian and Chechen situation, the, the situation in Chechnya, which is another contemporary form of genocide, a very strong aggression to a very, very little nation sending them more than one million of soldiers and they are doing to civil population uh, things very very terrible and uh, I am trying to for this kind of books to 
to stay a little bit uh, more discreet, I mean, uh, uh, to let the stories speak. It's important. Yeah. And it's even a moral point for me. Uh, <clears throat> I have to be a little bit, uh, uh, to stay a little bit behind. These stories are too important, uh, and my ego as not to be involved in it. Uh, I can stay a little bit uh, quiet and uh, the stories are very, very important to the people understand because these stories are uh, the do some documents that I'm bringing. I mean, I'm not inventing stuff, it's uh, what they say me. There are some documents that uh, have been translated for the original uh, the original uh, um, uh, documents of the secret police of the time, in oh. which uh, so you have the mirror, you know, for seeing the situation seen from inside the victims and the situation seen from outside, which was people that was doing working for the Soviet Union. They were soldiers and uh, secret policemen that were putting uh, in concrete conditions all this kind of uh, very violent uh, situation. It's interesting because Chechnya is kind of painted as a terrorist yeah. thing like you would when you think of Chechnya you think of like the Chechenian um, terrorist quote-unquote uh, which really takes power away from what you're talking about with with the genocides and the the sheer volume of loss of life now the point uh, you know it's a, a, a little nation that asks for independence and uh, uh, I I don't enter in the field if they are right or wrong about uh, in the, the the wish of independence mm -hmm. uh, I just uh, uh, am uh, putting in clear that there are uh, regular violation of uh, human rights toward a population which uh, which is uh, generally considered as terrorist just even including children old people women uh, boys men everybody is terrorist just because they are Chechens. Chechen, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the problem is uh, that what Anna Politkovskaya uh, Natalia Stemirova and all the activists uh, uh, Zabina uh, Gasheva, etc., are showing with documents, interviews, and uh, films, is that uh, there is uh, uh, a, a complete discrimination toward a whole population. Mm -hmm. We are uh, torturing, killing, raping, and uh, abusing. Uh, the, a whole population, which is less than it was, uh, around one million, and now there are very, very few. Uh, that's why people speak about genocide. They are trying to delay uh, to to erase a whole population. This is criminal. The point is uh, that there is, um, of course, there are even terrorists. Uh, there are people that go to Moscow to put bombs, etc. But uh, the point what I am trying to put uh, uh, out uh, and to draw and to portray is the situation in which uh, there are uh, 
you know, human rights, uh, human uh, human rights watcher, uh, or uh, Amnesty International, or uh, uh, Memorial, uh, all kind of organization that are. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. what is happening I mean it's uh, it's n- another um, war which is uh, in the doors of Europe uh, that hypocrisy prefers not to see and this is very very serious I think it's a really criminal attitude it's amazing how in a way small Europe is and all these things happen there I mean there was the Balkans you know, just what, 15, 20 years ago in yes. Sarajevo? And to me, it just seems like it's not that far from this, you know, huge, powerful Western consciousness. You know, you know uh, Russia is a very, very big country. Mm-hmm. And uh, Russia is a very powerful country. So, um, there is a problem uh, of uh, relationships between uh, nations and uh, that's why for China or Russia they cannot enter uh, that much because there is a wish to privilege economy and relationship for gas, oil and this kind of stuff is the usual old story for this uh, but um, here uh, there is a struggle very strong I think it's important uh, even for people that do my kind of work I mean storytellers in general to engage a little bit uh, ourselves and to use uh, our language to communicate and to let this kind of story uh, be known a little bit uh, more and uh, you know when I was in Paris uh, uh, two or three years ago we were talking uh, uh, with uh, Sampaio, Tardi and Munoz and we were saying it's time to go back to political stories Mm -hmm. and I think uh, it's uh, time to engage ourselves to awake a little bit now there is a very strong economical situation but there are things that must be faced must be known must be considered well uh tardy's uh recent collection in, in north america the war of the trenches uh, mm-hmm. on his first world war it's really uh it, it it's interesting you bring that up because it's a work about a war a hundred years ago but it has so much meaning right now Yes, uh, it's a masterpiece. It's a very great work. Uh, mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> uh, so it, it, yeah, it's interesting how people are engaging this kind of topic of what's going on, what's happening in the world, um, in different aspects. I hope so. You know, I think uh, graphic novelism now is. Uh, in a, in a certain way, uh, in a golden age, there is the possibility to talk with a lot of people. Readers are waiting for something. And uh, I really do hope that we can go out finally from a kind of uh, narcissism and uh, uh, to t- 
to start telling stories. Stories mean even, you know, not, not uh, forgetting what uh, as uh, the first Bob Dylan done in 1962, starting to use kind of finger-pointing song. We need this. Uh, we need uh, a, a revolution in a way which means uh, simply uh, a little bit more of attention. Attention to what we are talking about. Topics are very important and uh, how we can use the language to uh, give voice to people that has no voice. So I really do hope that uh, it's just the beginning and uh, uh, that we can uh, use the language which is a very fair language. I mean, is um, a nice possibility. Uh, in, in se last September I was together with Joe Sacco, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he has done a reportage about uh, uh, killing of uh, hundreds of people in uh, um, in the in the area of Palestine the so, Gaza strip yes exactly and uh, uh, so he was telling me you know Igor if uh, um, this book has been not drawn in comics uh, this book was a kind of sort of specialistic book for historians and some uh, people which love to read about history. But with our language, considering that it's uh, a graphic, visual language, you have the possibility to, to, to reach a so much different mm -hmm. and big audience. So, you know, I guess he's completely right, and this is a big responsibility. We can reach an audience. We have definitely the possibility to arrive and to speak, to reach uh, with a lot of people that not necessarily are uh, people that is interesting to read about history. I mean, this is the art of storytelling, and I think we can even have, not only, not exclusively, but even have a moral approach to this. And doing this kind of stories is important, as I think it has been in the, in, in the tradition of finger-pointing song, uh, the idea to speak about very delicate topics. Mm -hmm. It's um, that book of Joe Sacco's is amazing because if you were to read it as a book, it, it's just it's a lot of uh, information that is really hard to digest. Uh, but the way he does it mm -hmm. um, covers so intensely, like the massacre at the schoolyard. Um, and it really brings home the points of what happened and really makes it real and when you have all these faces to all these people yeah you know this is uh, um, I agree this is the point uh, sometimes you know I am doing and doing once more uh, the same scene uh, you have to find the right way to tell the story uh, because uh, the the point of observation changes, uh, even the consideration that you can have, it's better to show things, uh, but uh, drawing has a very uh, strong impact, uh, is uh, not uh, exactly an objective language, it's very full of interpretation. So if you stay behind and the story is told in a dry way, 
without too much melodrama because melodrama is against these kind of things I guess and uh, if you do this after your drawing can be very very strong as an impact to the reader and this is a kind of exercise that is even um, working me and my approach on storytelling and it's uh, important for me I mean I think I am growing up doing this kind of books nevertheless it's very painful because uh, uh, when you start uh, telling stories and that are stories of abuse and torture you have to digest these stories and have to be able to give back the same emotions mm -hmm. and it's very painful it's a very very painful exercise I understand why Joe Sacco after these kind of books uh, wants to do the biography of Rolling Stones you know it's, <laughs> it's kind of relaxing you know, giving giving himself a break yeah no it's it's true I uh I interviewed him about that book um, and it, it it's really fascinating how he's a, he needs to um, or how he kind of processes it where he almost has to like shut himself off while he's in the field interviewing people because mm -hmm. you just can't do it then you can't fully be aware of just the pain that you're taking in and kind of it's something we are talking about, you know, among authors, we, uh, yesterday I was, uh, I, I had a lunch with uh, David Mazzucchelli and we very often speak about this, uh, how, you know, we have to find a way to survive to our own books, uh, in a way, uh, it's, uh, if you do it seriously, I mean, it's not that easy, uh, it's not that light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's art, right? Art's not easy, I guess. No, it's not a question of art or not yeah. art. It's that some topics are really heavy. Yeah. And uh, you are the first to be impressed and to be, uh, in a way, scandalized or touched. I, uh, I am very, very very touched and very uh, a little bit uh, depressed when I read all this stuff and after I have to find a way to to put it that can be readable for a reader and can be understandable for how terrible is what is happening and that media don't speak so much about it I guess it's something that shouldn't be easy though hmm. um, you know part of that pain or that challenge of doing something like that because it is a difficult thing and and if it was easy for an artist to work on these kind of topics they they wouldn't resonate as well it wouldn't come across as well i don't know for me it's not um, you know the the level of difficulty mm -hmm. in the approach uh, comes after uh, first uh, it comes the shock and uh, when I started I thought uh, you should have to react of all this that you are learning and you know my language uh, is uh, words and pictures so my it was the kind of self-defense I had to uh, to face this uh, 
kind of pain that I was feeling staying there. I have been there, I have lived, I moved there and stayed there for around two years. Uh, I have traveled in, I, I was in Ukraine and after I would travel to Russia and after I would travel to Siberia by train, so Siberia took five days and uh, six nights, something like this, to to reach uh, uh, the heart of Siberia. In the meantime, I was uh, uh, rereading and uh, uh, listening the stories of people that were, you know, um, exiliated in Siberia. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was very strong experience and I think a book to be a real book must pass through an existentialist experience, a very personal. I cannot draw things that I have never lived or never seen or never thought. It's not an automatic uh, machine, uh, a, a, a graphic novel. Yeah. Uh, so, first it comes uh, your emotional and approach and your uh, how how deep uh, all this stuff uh, is uh, penetrated into your soul, in your vision, in your heart. And after you try to put it out, to be, to communicate with the people that is sensitive and wants to uh, wants to know and wants to understand how how you you are working out this reality because it's much more important than my work has been and so that's how how it developed this kind of last uh, last uh, period of my activity now I am thinking in terms to do both fictional stories but uh, even to increase this kind of uh, direct you know now I I am uh, for around one month and a half uh, in New York and even just walking into the streets I uh, or taking the subway I see so many interesting situations and, and people that have uh, certainly interesting stories that I would uh, I find fascinating the idea even to take some of these people and ask them if they want to speak with me and tell me a little bit about their life. I mean, there is a whole world that needs to be told and the stories can arrive to you rather than you go hunting them like in a safari. We are full of a lot of very interesting situations and stories to tell. And this is something that don't really exist in graphic novelism. Not, uh, it's not uh, absolutely developed yet.
I was reading your blog, um, translated, uh, mm. about your trip to New York, and you really seem to be taking in the kind of uh, cultural artifact that it is, like talking about uh, um, the Velvet Underground and going to Lexington 125. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, the beef die, you know. Now it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, yes, it's, um, you know, it's important. Uh, New York has created so much. Uh, you know, I've come here several times, but normally I come for, uh, you know, exhibition panels. Uh, so I stay one week. Now I decide to stay a little bit longer and not to live in a hotel, but I am in a regular house. And uh, so I live uh, as uh, anybody here. I go to the grocery to buy food, I come back, I cook, I put my garbage in the trash can. You know, it's kind of everyday life. I've done this in Tokyo for several months. And uh, uh, even in that uh, experience, it was clear that uh, you can penetrate, you can enter in a social, social structure, you know, you can understand a little bit more of what life is uh, in this place and here for me you know New York is so full of uh, memories cultural memories important books important uh, cultural movements uh, uh, that has changed the world has changed our way of uh, uh, seeing things how you can not uh, I don't know, not consider uh, Kirak or Ginsberg, the big generation, what has became all this kind of movement, how you cannot consider, consider you know, James Purdy or uh, Hubert Selby Jr. Jr. I mean, what uh, that influenced even uh, Velvet Underground, Lou Reed, uh, how you cannot f consider Andy Warhol. Now, if I go and see my friends that are people uh, very active in this New York scene, um, <clears throat> I wish uh, to to speak with them and tell them, okay, we have to do something. We have to go out. We we have to stop speaking only uh, to um, kind of fandom. You know, uh, there is uh, like a comic scene that speaks to itself, and uh, this. Uh, Honestly, I'm not so not that interested in. I am interested to to talk and to to tell my stories to normal audience that normally goes to theater, goes to uh, movie theaters, uh, read novels, and listen music. I mean, it's uh, I am telling stories. I am a storyteller. I never consider myself as a kind of uh, you know. A part of a ghetto of communication. I'm not interested in this, simply. That's interesting, because going through your work and uh, looking at some interviews, I'd read your uh, conversation that you did with uh, with Mazzuchelli. Mm. Um, you seem to have, like, really grown up on comics. Like, you know your comics. You know, like, Mike Kaluta, Bernie Wrights, and you're familiar mm -hmm. with comics. Yes, but, uh, you know, you grew up, uh, I grew up uh, in an island of Italy, of the south of Italy, which is called Sardinia, and after, when you're adult, you go out, no, and uh, start traveling, and uh, start living everywhere in the world. I have lived in north of Italy, and after in Paris, after in Tokyo, now I'm living here in New York for a little while, I go back to Paris, and after, I go on traveling. I mean, when I... I think, uh, you know, a comics language is a tool. I can, I can speak about things that I know in other fields uh, as well. I mean, I like to read. So, 
for me uh, Raymond Carver is like uh, supposed to be I don't know Gene Colan they are people that uh, created my own vision they helped to build up my own vision after as an adult I want to speak I have a vision I have a grammar to say things mm -hmm. so now it's time to speak now it's time <laughs> to talk it's not even uh, same thing for I don't know other people that did all this work in other fields uh, a lot of time before me I mean it's uh, everybody uh, grows up and study and learn how to use the language of course if I, I want to, I can talk for 50 minutes uh, with David Mazzucchelli or how Vince Coletta was inking Jack Kirby's pages but uh, it's uh, I mean this is part of our culture we will yeah. go up with this but uh, I can even speak about uh, how to cook spaghetti for 30 minutes it's not uh, <laughs> I that I always speak and think about it yeah no, I, I see what you mean. Um, that was one of the things, looking at your, uh, when I read uh, Adult Feelings, is I could see how you're pulling from different types of art forms in creating that book. Mm -hmm. um, one thing during um, some of the sex scenes, it really reminded me of, say, like, those Japanese prints yes of course yes um and so i'm wondering with your own comics how did you when did you kind of uh see beyond comics like you start bringing in other influences you know when uh, this work has been done in uh, uh, 1983 so we're talking of another igor i mean I am now, uh, we are in 2011, I am, <laughs> I am 52 years old, you know, I was uh, uh, very young and uh, this book uh, was uh, some kind of uh, answer to American myth. I was uh, uh, talking the story of uh, a, a Jewish person that was uh, uh, living in Russia and uh, it was doing the hard worker and he became it happened to him to became kind of a Russian pupil of Batman so uh, this kind of uh, uh, vision was an ironic uh, and uh, uh, ironic answer that was influenced by the American myth of a superhero which was a peculiar particular superhero because Batman is not uh, like other it's not superpowers Mm -hmm. So it was pretty human, uh, the human uh, superhero, and I was uh, speaking about uh, uh, real problems, you know, in Russia, uh, Jewish were really discriminated, and uh, I wanted to talk about this kind of uh, ironic uh, thing that he became to be like a sort of Russian superhero, the first Russian superhero. And uh, this deals uh, with a particular uh, movement which is called in Russia Americanaya which was very very old it is the influence you know in Russia they even play swing they maybe play a little bit more mechanical but they were influenced by American music and uh, uh, doing this uh, of course uh, we were using it was the 80s and in Europe there was a movement called Valvoline it's like Valvoline you know and it was Valvoline Motor Comics. It was kind of uh, 
avant-garde group. It was me, Matotti, Carpinteri, Charles Barnes, Daniele Broly, Marcello Iori, and Jerry Kramsky. We were a group of a bunch of people that was uh, thinking that uh, comic uh, uh, potentiality, comic language, could be expanded. So it was necessary not to limitate ourselves in storytelling. Our main uh, point of references, because they were not really influenced, because they were from other languages, were uh, the Nouvelle Vague in cinema, uh, where something like, for instance, uh, the idea to, of a certain Robert Altman, the, the first Altman, uh, The Long Goodbye and other kind of movies like that, uh, California Split, etc., etc., and uh, it was for for me important at the time. I don't know the Russian constructivism or the Italian futurism and the Russian futurism. Um, some experience of the theater and some things coming from literature, for instance, uh, uh, Philip Roth, and uh, so this kind of stream of consciousness or of uh, uh, port noise complaint and this uh, uh, was very very important to bring all this in comics because in the 80s comics were like a self-referenced uh, language it was very very closed and uh, uh, it was of course the experience uh, that was breaking this closure uh, of uh, Les Humanoïdes Associés, Metal Long in France and it was something happening very strong from the underground scene in America, it was Richard Corbin, Greg Irons, and a lot of other people that were trying, like after Shelton and uh, Crump, of course, they were trying to opening the language. So we did our contribution, uh, starting from uh, our culture and uh, starting through from our point of view, which which is, I think, always uh, interesting because it's, uh, I mean, uh, very peculiar. So the American myth seen from America is not the same thing that American myth seen from Europe. Yeah. And we were trying to talk about it. So Dull Feelings is a story uh, in which I am talking about these kind of things. Uh, and there are always elements that are, you know, kind of uh, uh, historically coming and coming and coming again. Uh, during all my uh, work uh, that is now, as I told you, uh, started in 1978 exactly, uh, so it's more than 30 years that I'm publishing my stories. Did you and Lorenzo kind of worked like peers as starting up in Italy? But yeah, Lorenzo started to do uh, fires and uh, uh, Spartaco in my apartment in Bologna. So we were working very, very close. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. It was a, a group we were exchanging. We, we spent uh, 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 years talking about the potentiality of the work. Of course, we were part of that same group. It's like... Uh, in the avant-garde group, I mean, artists that they faced themselves, they were uh, even showing the pages and speaking about projects before they were even written or drawn. Because, I mean, you're, you're talking a little bit about, say, like the New York scenes of the Beats and um, the Warhol, like the factory. And exactly. I, and I kind of see this own thing that you guys have um, 
where really both of you are very uh, advanced cartoonists, like you've really pushed forward very modern work, very thought-provoking work, very artistic work. Um, so I see even there that that's that's a kind of a, an example of kind of this nexus point of things starting. For me, it's uh, uh, simply natural. What we are looking is kind of uh, beauty, and beauty has very much, for my vision, to deal with the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have, uh, uh, we are not afraid of anything that can be uh, true, that can comes from real experience, deep experience, and. Uh, so for me, yes, you're right. Uh, I am talking about the beats. I am talking about the factor of Andy Warhol, and uh, I am talking about the German scene. You know, the so-called new German scene of the uh, 70s and the 80s, which was Fassbinder, Kluge, Wenders, Schlondorf, and all others. Um, I mean. It is important, I think it's very beautiful, the idea to face yourself and grow up. This is uh, something that I am learning from America. I mean, no, nobody comes out uh, for self-generation. You are always part of a family, in a way. Even Munoz teaches me. Munoz is a master of uh, me and Matotti. He, we have mm -hmm. learned so much from him, and now we do different things. Uh, we are doing our own uh, walk uh, in the in the field. But uh, uh, I think it's very important. You know, even Bob Dylan in the Gaslight, when he was uh, uh, playing music, was not uh, alone. It was uh, now we remember like a myth, Bob Dylan, but was not the only one. There were a lot of people working the same field in the same direction, uh, including uh, Pete Seeger and uh, before Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie and many others. Like and, Billy. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I think it's very important. I mean, it's important that we uh, we do activate ourselves. And, you know, and one of the last very important experiences is the so-called Canadian school. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. Joe Matt, uh, my friend Seth, and uh, uh, Chester Brown, and even uh, for, a, for a little while, I don't mean, they were very close, they were very, very uh, living uh, even, and exchanging themselves a lot of experiences and, uh, and the visions about things, uh, you know. Yeah, and uh, Julie Doucet as well. Yeah, yes, Another. yes, of course. <laughs> um, wonder if you can kind of elaborate further on uh, Munoz as an influence um, because I think a lot of modern comic readers uh, don't really know much about him yes. because Joe Zabar has been out of print for so long um, but I mean there's so many works so influenced by it and by him you know it's uh, uh, Munoz is, is coming from a, a family tree. This family tree is as a, uh, as a chief. Uh, uh, the, the grandfather of all of us is uh, Alberto Breccia, mm -hmm. which, who was uh, opening completely uh, the idea of painted comics. It was coming from uh, uh, avant-garde in painting and bringing very, very important things. Uh, 
Before him, at the beginning of the century, there was Lionel Feininger that invented comics in the beginning of the uh, 20th century. So it was published in the, as the same uh, period. The Kinder Kids were the same period of uh, Little Nemo, of mm -hmm. Winsor McKay. And uh, um, when I tell you this, I tell you this because, uh, uh, you know, after Alberto Breccia was Hugo Pratt, you see. Hugo Pratt was uh, uh, part of the South American school and Munoz was uh, going to school in the, in the Pan American School of Comics. He was going to school and his uh, uh, teachers were Alberto Breccia and Hugo Pratt. Wow. So he learned how to use a certain approach in drawing, which was not conventional, not only the line, but even very violent blacks and the kind of expressionist approach. Well, Brescia so, and Pratt are very such different cartoonists as well. Yes, yes, but Pratt was uh, his professor and uh, is uh, is the declared master of Munoz. Is very very <laughs> strong uh, influence. After um, Munoz started to create in stories in Europe and uh, particularly in Italy, because they were like refugees, they were clandestines at the time. Munoz and Sampaio, they started working in Italy with uh, Alex Sinner, which was a kind of a private detective, but very very sad. Very existentialist. Uh, now all this looks like a little bit consumed as a cliche, but at the time uh, it was only uh, it was very very new and very violent. And in comics field, uh, nothing like this has ever been and ever seen before them. So uh, I remember when I was uh, uh, 16, 17, 18 years old uh, that I was very much impressed by this kind of very uh, violent uh, metropolitan stories. Uh, these stories uh, were uh, to telling about uh, uh, the dropouts, uh, you know, people that was uh, in a way very, very uh, pushed off the society in New York and they were told telling stories about clandestines, about the little urban communities uh, like Spanish people or uh, South American people and uh, uh, the blacks, uh, the fights for the rights, all this kind of stuff that was, I remember we were in the 70s, eh? mm -hmm. these stories were published in the 77 and 78 to begin. And uh, so their approach in storytelling was very, very touching and shocking, we understood, me, Matotti, Carpinteri and all the others, that uh, with comics you could really tell about very strong and important topics. In the same period, another very major figure in France was doing very strong and very, very uh, touching stories was Jacques Tardy. Mm -hmm. Tati that now is finally printed in America, I'm very happy of it, uh, is one of the big masters of uh, uh, European comics, is one of the biggest, uh, uh, more, more, most influential artists. Uh, you know, at the end of the 70s, uh, me, Matotti and Carpinteri, uh, we received a, a letter that was raw calls for drawings. And uh, uh, Art Spiegelman was contacting me, Matotti and Carpinteri to be to, to participate to, to a special issue of Raw. And uh, um, 
this was the uh, in the same issue was even uh, participating Baru, which after became like a sort of a brother to me. I I we spend holidays every year together with his wife and uh, my girlfriend, etc. And you know this just to tell that uh, there was kind of a communication we were exchanging experience and uh, uh, talking and discussing where comic language has to go mm -hmm. this was uh, kind of uh, very strong uh, very very strong uh, f um, connection between all of us and uh, you know, basically, uh, all the experience, uh, you know, uh, Spiegelman was understanding that we were expanding comics uh, with a lot of art and uh, uh, picture, photography, influences, architecture, bringing inside this a lot of stuff. Uh, and uh, this was the opening of the language for our point of view. In the same time he was doing Row, we were realizing Valvoline uh, in uh, the, it was a supplement that we took care of a, a very popular uh, magazine. Every month we published 60, 70 pages that was completely either from the graphic design to the articles inside from the comics uh, uh, from the novels that were published inside were all under our control mm -hmm. and it was by Rizzoli, it was printed by Rizzoli in the kiosks too and uh, in the same time uh, there was a very strong uh, revolution in uh, in France uh, with uh, Jacques Tardy and uh, in a same way uh, uh, Munoz and Sampaio that were publishing their stories and this is what it changed everything I mean uh, this period was has been a period that has completely brought uh, comic language to talk about uh, uh, not only entertainment but to to face uh, uh, even dramatic topics and uh, to use it as it is as a language mm -hmm. not only as a genre stories is not that important this is just a part of the expression it's uh it's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, it's all these huge uh, talents just all bouncing off of each other. What is strange to me is uh, to see that uh, um, a lot of things uh, uh, so important uh, in North America and in Canada, they are not uh, very frequently published. And uh, it's like uh, for me, I don't know, uh, not to know, not to knowing uh, what uh, Stanley Kubrick has done, or not to knowing what Martin Scorsese has realized. I mean, it's incredible. I cannot believe it. It's uh, there is, this is uh, a sort of lack of curiosity. That well, maybe the publishers should work differently. I don't know. It's kind of odd. Like I've talked to Kim Thompson about this and just how the North American reader um, takes in different works than say the European reader and I mean it's surprising when you see that you have so many books or someone like Lorenzo or Tardy uh, have all these huge amounts of books but we only see a handful of them here and the readers just don't know how to sometimes really take it in um, you know, Mobius is another one who mm -hmm. huge volume of work, but very little of it 
is available on Glade. Yeah, but this is a work that publishers uh, has to take care of. I mean, uh, you know, any kind of stuff that is coming, can you imagine what is what is more far away uh, to European approach of a manga? Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, manga now in Europe are a very big market. Oh, it's they are huge. selling huge. Yeah. And uh, because you readers are starting to get used, even to read the opposite, you know, books, uh, Japanese books, you open from the the back cover. What is for us is the back cover. For them, is a cover. So you have to you have to learn to use the opposite sense because they read this way. And nevertheless, everything has been done. Uh, it is a work of publishers. This uh, artists has to do good books. Publishers has to realize, publish, and sell good books. Well, let's talk. Uh, a, I'm just curious, like how co- your uh, Coconino books work into this. Uh, I I don't know. In Italy, you know, it was a very strong uh, uh, moment in which uh, Italian market has been uh, uh, like, uh, uh, in a way, uh, has increased very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to manga sales and uh, superheroes, and uh, it was risking uh, during the nineties to completely disappear our kind of culture. So, you know, I have created and participated in several publishing enterprises. I mean, I've done uh, this Valvoline uh, supplement after uh, I have created Dolce Vita, which was. Uh, kind of magazine for the kiosk, very big size, uh, with uh, even uh, Federico Fellini um, participating in it, etc. And after I have done Fuego, which was another magazine for the kiosk, uh, and so I was, uh, and that after other things, uh, I was a little bit tired to, you know, to um, spend part of my time not on my books, but uh, following kind of uh, publications and uh, but uh, uh, when there was a graphic novel phenomenon going out, um, big publishers, major publishers called me and asked me, Igor, there are things you think should deserve to be published. I say, of course, there are a lot of masterpieces. And I have brought them some stuff you know, that I loved, like uh, uh, Seth Book uh, and Taniguchi from Japan, uh, some other things of Chester Brown or Jomat uh, or other things from uh, Danny Close, uh, things that I, I thought were really great and innovative. And they say, oh yes, fantastic, we'll publish everything. And after two years, I realized they were not publishing nothing. <laughs> uh, so I have uh, found, uh, um, I met a person which was Carlo Barbieri, that now is unfortunately uh, dead. And he um, he was very sensitive. And when I spoke to him, I showed what, what I had in mind. He told me, my God, but we have to create something from it. This is a reality that exists, and uh, it's crazy that it does not exist in Italy. So we started to uh, thinking, uh, to, to, we started thinking about it to create really a kind of label. And uh, it was not that easy because I had uh, an idea of what a book should be. I mean, I was renouncing to hardcover to you know bright paper to uh, old colors which is the a little bit the European tradition to do 
more poor, humble books with a creamy matte paper and with a kind of a duotone or black and white, very rarely colored, but with a lot of pages, with a consequent uh, storytelling, I mean, uh, long, long stories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it all started little by little, but uh, there was an audience, of course it was. Uh, like this because uh, uh, there, were, there were a lot of people reading our comics uh, uh, 10 or 20 years before and these people had nothing to read. So it was kind of adult audience that was interested to uh, read uh, adult stories, complex stories that were not afraid of complexity. I mean, it was not only the the bad guy uh, coming from uh, jail, coming out from jail and doing a massacre and so the good guy, the, the hero that has go to save the planet, the world from this bad guy. Um, they wanted something a little bit more sophisticated, uh, a little bit more uh, complex as approach in understanding life maybe. Exactly as they do when they're reading novels, and so uh, when we started publishing this uh, this stuff, uh, it contributed a little bit to show that was a scene, existing scene, and this uh, encouraged a lot of uh, European and Italian uh, graphic novelists uh, to to do their own job. I mean, to do their their own stories and to build up. Uh, strong stories. And little by little we start publishing and there are books that now uh, created by Coconino are published in 15 countries, you know, and so it's a reality and now it is becoming something strong. Uh, some of us are passing from uh, storytelling graphic novels even to directing movies. There is a, a movie just realized by GB, yes, that is in competition in Venice and uh, uh, I think we are uh, a little bit contributing to all this grow up of, you know, what we need is, of course, not only this, but uh, as what I think is lacking very much, I I miss uh, adult approach on storytelling, and I think we deserve this, and so that's where we are working. Um. So at first, was it were you focused on um, Italian cartoonists, or did you have like a larger view of who you wanted to be publishing? You know, I I am always traveling. I I don't, you know, I work a- anywhere. And I am a New Yorker, and I'm working in New York. I was in Ukraine. I was working in Ukraine. So my friends are everywhere. I meet uh, people everywhere in Japan, uh, in Canada, in America, in France, uh, everywhere. And uh, no, we always started publishing books uh, by all the things and the people, uh, I mean, all the uh, interesting books that uh, I found of my friends. and uh, what I thought, well, it was great, you know, when I've read uh, uh, Mazzucchelli's books, uh, I, I was very touched, and now he's the, like a brother to me, he's one of my best friends, and so, of course, uh, I, I am glad to introduce his work, because I think he's a great worker. Mm-hmm. Same as for Seth, uh, when I met him, it was a very, very sympathetic feeling, we have a 
kind of uh, nostalgia for some things in common we like architecture both and so uh, it's a good like uh, it's a good life it's don't weekend it's a very very touching book and I wrote even essay on this book uh, for art magazines you know explaining what was uh, Seth doing and uh, in my vision at least I mean and um, so we started this way and after the international comic scene encouraged the rise of uh, Italian and, and not only Italian even Spanish Portuguese French artists that were proposing us stuff um, I was really surprised I uh, to hear like I presumed Anders Nilsson that he had been connected like he had been suggested by Fanographics or something, but you approached him directly. Yes, I, Anders Nielsen is a very dear person, he's a very great cartoonist. Yes, mm -hmm. I, I asked him to do something for for uh, for us after we didn't publish for complicated reason yet, but we will do it something, when we will publish something of his stuff. Mm -hmm. No, it's uh, I. He was just in Vancouver on Sunday, so uh. I got to spend the day with him, asking him lots of questions. <laughs> um, no, Cocodino, it's done. You guys are finished with it, or there's still books coming out. Are you joking? We publish forty books per year, uh, so it's a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. I wake up at six o'clock in the morning to afford all this. <laughs> <laughs> no downtime. Um, how old was uh, GP when he, you got him in, like, started publishing him? Because he seems he's very young, or no, he's not a young GP. Oh, okay. I don't know. He's uh, maybe it's like a vampire. Looks always young, but he's <laughs> fifty years old. Uh, no, GP GP was uh, something around uh, I don't know thirty eight, forty when oh, I met okay. him. It was pub he was publishing his stories uh, since 20 years oh. and nobody has ever proposed him to do a book. He was just publishing for magazines and newspapers. And so when I met him, uh, I asked him, GP, we should uh, start thinking about a long story with watercolor, for instance, or a long story anyway. And he was very afraid. He told me, I don't know. I just tell autobiographical stories, what I have seen. I, I don't know what to do. And say, but, you know, I I know you since 20 years. Uh, I know your work because it was the first time that I met him in 2000. Uh, why, uh, if you don't have so much new stories, I will come to your house. We choose together little stories, short stories to do like a, a collection of... And... Uh, he told me, no, no, I prefer to do new stuff, uh, this, this is the stories, these are not quite satisfying for me, etc. So he disappeared, he ran away and disappeared for more than one year. After <laughs> when he, he came back, uh, uh, you know, he asked me if I was offended with him and uh, we started speaking again about the idea to do something like a long story and he was not able to realize the long story at the beginning so he has done uh, yeah he did uh, at the time a lot of short stories we did uh, it as a compilation and he was for the first time understanding what uh, was the idea of a book you know which is completely different approach 
uh, then when you work uh, week by week, uh, month by month for uh, magazines or newspapers. Mm. And uh, after that uh, experience, uh, he was seen his reader. He re readers arrived to him and asked him uh, uh, to do a drawing, a sign in, in signing sessions, and it was very touching for him. Uh, he's a very great worker and uh, um, so a very hard worker, I mean. And so he understood that there was an audience that was awaiting for his own stories and his own books. And he finally did, as a second, a long story in watercolor, as what I was suggesting him. And uh, this story has won a lot, a lot of awards and is a very great novel. I was very touched when I was reading it. And, uh, you know, I have uh, experienced uh, for 11, 12 years uh, a work with uh, Japanese uh, editors and Japanese uh, uh, publishing companies like for instance Kodansha. Mm -hmm. So I have uh, learned how important can be a good editor with you, which means uh, not someone that imposes you things, but someone, someone that helps you to reflect on what you are doing. And uh, when I met uh, Yasumitsu Tsutsumi, which was my editor, which is the editor of Mebius or Taniguchi or Tanaka in Japan, um, I knew to know more or less uh, my world, uh, what I wanted to draw and uh, the way I wanted to draw it. And in fact I was completely wrong because uh, starting working with him it was like kind of a new birth for me. And uh, he just put me some questions and uh, with these questions after I start to reflect, to think, and uh, <clears throat> I understood very much more uh, where I wanted to go um, so after 11-12 years uh, I came back to Europe uh, and uh, this uh, experience was very useful for me because when you are uh, you know like a, like the old brother for uh, artists that are working for you they have sometimes very strong fragility and uh, they show you the pages they get out on or the projects that uh, they think can work but they are not so sure of and uh, if you are a good author you can tell your advice but from your point of view as an author mm -hmm. and this is uh, not always very useful if you are a good editor you try to understand which is his point of view and try to help in, in his own direction and uh, so this experience to work with an editor in Japan for so much years after was very useful and I have uh, participated a little bit uh, like a mirror, you know, trying to uh, encourage or say take care of this, etc. But uh, uh, always trying to to be close to the works that we are growing up with Coco, with Coconino. And uh, this, uh, I think, uh, has been, uh, even from human point of view, a very strong experience. Even now, you know, the last message that I had from GP, and which is finishing to do the montage of his movie, is yesterday night. So we are very, very strong, in, uh, with a strong contact with a lot of artists. Uh, mm. Tota, GP, Fiora, I mean, uh, with a lot of these 
friends, we are uh, working and we're showing pages and speaking, so what are you doing, which is your approach, but even you know, with anybody, with uh, even uh, other artists, there are like kind of, uh, you know, lunch together with the uh, artists uh, in uh, in France, in Paris, I see Lustal or Matotti or uh, David B or um, Tota, a lot of friends uh, from Italy too. And uh, here in America, I, I see my friends, cartoonists, when I'm here. I mean, we are talking about books, uh, so which is the difficulty, why you're going there, what do you want to do, which is a good publisher to publish this. I mean, it's kind of very strong sense of community. Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's uh, it's amazing when you can travel so much, and kind of tap into this common community, all over the world. Yes, you know, it's a kind of this is a privilege of uh, um, of our kind of work. I mean, when you tell a story, basically you can write and draw anywhere. Uh, I have not so much uh, um, like. Uh, I don't need so much things, you know, there are some friends of mine that need a certain inclination of the table to work and certain kind of atmosphere and otherwise they cannot work. And For me, I can even draw in a train, you know, it's uh, no problem. And from the other time, you know, now that I'm working a little bit in cinema field, I see how lucky we are in comic field to be so poor. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is kind of aristocracy that comes from uh, uh, being uh, miserable because you don't have to ask uh, the advice of anybody. You know, if you want to tell a story, you don't need a producer to show the project and to await for months and months the answer because they have to find other co-producer to send you here or there with a troupe with 20, 30, 40 people and decide that you have to do a movie in 6, 8 weeks, uh, 10 weeks uh, maximum. And, uh, you know, all this uh, is non-existing problem for cartoonists. If uh, when I met, uh, you know, Chester Brown in Toronto, he was uh, realizing his uh, uh, diary about uh, his sexual experiences mm -hmm. and uh, period. I mean, he was just doing this because he wanted. Yeah, it's it's his own risk. He did pay for it, and it was uh, doing this because he felt that he had to do it. And if you have a kind of uh, uh, wish like this, and you work for cinema or theater, my god, I have very good friends of mine are actors, uh, they fall in depression every two weeks uh, when you're working on this kind of thing and you never know if your movie or show will be realized because you depend on so much people, you know. Here you simply have some pens, paper, you can travel, go anywhere, see things, learn how to see, because this is the main topic, how to see and how to show things. This makes the difference. And um, after it's a very, very incredibly uh, big privilege that we have. This is uh, what I'm learning in this, uh, in this uh, part of my life. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful to be even, uh, to be miserable. I mean, you are really uh, you really can experience the freedom that you you can do what you want, and after you can show to a publisher, uh, convince him to publish or not. But even in in case of unlucky, 
you, you, of unlock, you cannot publish your book, you still have now so much media, like even internet, anyway, anything, you can spread your vision, you know, it's, it's very, very cheap. Mm -hmm. No, it's, uh, it, even in situations where you're unable to find a publisher, sometimes work because it's online, and if readers really get into it or really support it, publishers will end up taking notice because of that mm -hmm. as well so it's, you uh, can even uh, auto self-print now with computers you know you can self-print your little books it's incredible mm -hmm. well Chester Brown started out making uh, mini comics yes 30 years ago <laughs> yes 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 but even now yeah. imagine, uh, Gabriel Bell he's here She's uh, in New York, and yeah. she is publishing for a very prestigious publisher as Drawing Quarterly, and at the same time she's uh, self-producing comics. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, this is the big privilege. We can have a, we can have what we want. I mean, we can do what we want. Exactly. It's uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I agree. What you said earlier, kind of being in a golden age of what's what's being created and what people are thinking about and also what they can do with it um, the boundaries are endless um, mm. your latest work uh, Baobab um, three parts out how long a story is that it or is it continuing no 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 it will, uh, it will go on it's supposed to be something like a <clears throat> 400 pages story Oh, wow. But after I, I was in Tokyo and was speaking with uh, Jiro Taniguchi, and he knows pretty well my work since we were working with the same editor too. And yeah. so when I told him the story, he told him he told me, Igor, this will be six hundred pages with your <laughs> kind of storytelling. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> he's more expert in long stories than me, so maybe he's right and I'm wrong. So it can be between four hundred and six hundred pages. I have to, uh, as soon as I finish this uh, uh, Ukrainian, uh, uh, sorry, Russian notebook, I will start uh, again. I, I was drawing the fourth issue, but I will, I will be more, uh, more efficient. I will draw faster. I mean, more, more frequently you will find the new chapters of the story. It's uh, interesting, like, your work is also set in different places, like, Dulled Feelings is uh, in Japan and Russia. Um, mm -hmm. Baobab is in South America and Japan. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're working on these Ukraine books. And you also did the Fats Waller book, which obviously would be America, um, American, you know, distinctly American art form. You know, yeah. Earth is a very small planet. Yeah. Um, so five is the perfect number. Is that kind of your Italian book? Five is a perfect number was set in uh, Naples mm -hmm. and uh, uh, when I started drawing it uh, I was in Tokyo so I was uh, thinking to my to, to, to my Italy to my Naples to in a way of uh, you know seeing it from very far away and I started writing it it was like a Think that can work in theater, and after uh, the first chapter, uh, I I started drawing, and uh, um, after I was developing it, and 
I want to portray something that is very, very peculiar. I mean, Naples is a very special city. It's very unique in a way. It's, there are not, not any other it Italian cities that look like Naples. Uh, uh, and uh, this story was a story that has very kind of, uh, you know, southern uh, particular melancholies and is a, a kind of gangster story, but uh, basically it's a story of an old man that uh, thinks uh, he has lived all his life uh, and finally they kill his son and he understands that he has to go back. You know, he was like uh, going uh, going toward death uh, in a way very very in a light way not dramatic way was waiting mm -hmm. and uh, after the death of his uh, son he understands that he has to go back to life and uh, this dramatic happening after all is the beginning of a new life uh, he understands that uh, finally he has uh, he, he did not understood nothing of life until that moment and all the values that he had were, were uh, you know, in a way, criminal values of richness and uh, power, etc., were just uh, nothing. And uh, he is, uh, anyway, uh, this story for me is important because wants to show uh, criminality and mafia not from heroic point of view. Pepino Lo Cicero, the main character of the story, is not a hero. And this is the point, this was an answer to America. I mean, when I watch The Godfather or other very wonderful movies mm -hmm. uh, by uh, The Goodfellas, by Scorsese, I don't know, or Casino, you know, these killers are so heroic Yeah. that I have my... my uh, my identification with a hero is very dangerous because they are shown as very as very very smart guys and this is a little bit strange for me it does not look so moral i mean i this is not an example is like an example of, of a hero you know but this is the problem of um, american pop i mean this kind of culture is not put in discussion some points some topics that has to be put in discussion in my vision. So what I was trying to portray is a kind of, uh, uh, you know, this is a second level gangster. He has nothing of heroic. He's just a poor man that has not, has not understood so much of life. And uh, when he is uh, 62 and he thinks that he's finishing his life, finally he understands in a way that life was something else that he was completely missing. With what there is the story of a tragic misunderstanding, a whole existence based on a misunderstanding. This was something that I I felt was interesting to be told, you know, because mafia or camorra are something that we are supposed to know, but we always know the American point of view and not the European point of view. In Italy, it's very much more um, present as far as like as kind of presence in society. Is that a good way of putting it? 
Like especially yes, uh, with, with uh, Napoli, with Naples. Mafia is everywhere. I mean, mafia is even in Germany and in France, unfortunately, and we exported it uh, to America, as you know. So it's not something, I mean, uh, mafia is like a, a cancer. It's something going everywhere and bringing his politics of death. Uh, the point is uh, try to understand what the conception of a certain kind of life is. For me it was a, um, a human story. Before bullets and before the shotguns it comes the human point of view. What was interesting to me is to speak about the tragedy of this little uh, poor man that uh, that is a bad guy but uh, he does not understand for cultural reason or other kind of things nothing of his own life this was a very tragic you know it's kind of Dostoevsky uh, vision is uh, uh, of Tolstoy I mean this is kind of a tragic you can you can find this kind of topic in, even in a Greek tragedy it's a kind of uh, uh, point, starting point that can you bring very far away if you if your skill is good. It's like um kind of a reflective uh reanalysis, I guess. Yes, it's uh, our kind of approach to storytelling uh, coming from Europe. I I think it's pretty normal, I mean. In the book, um, one of my favorite things that you had done in it was um, the kind of use of, and I think you, I can't remember the actual words you're using, but the the use of visions and dream in the book, mm-hmm. and how you really change up the art style for that. Um, tell me a little bit about that, of what you were doing with that. Oh, the use of it's, uh, that. <laughs> it, it was, um, you know, one one thing is fatal. It's, I mean, what what people think that must happen, and even you cannot do nothing to avoid it. And uh, this is typical from the south of uh, Italy, and from Naples too. And uh, so, in dreams, uh, it appears things which are kind of reflects of the life that this character is living, and. Uh, it was an homage to the golden age of uh, cartoons, which was uh, like in the 30s, you know. And I was drawing, you know, like my characters in comics, they were dream- dreaming like uh, in uh, animation. Uh, mm. So it was uh, kind of uh, a very primitive uh, comics. Uh, it was an homage to George Ehrman or the first uh, RBE works or Walt Disney stuff, I mean Felix the Cat uh, and uh, other kind of comics that I really loved of the golden era. The character in uh, Baobab, uh, Celestine, feels feels kind of influenced by Harriman. Is Harriman. Okay. <laughs> That's if you watch the face, it looks very much. <laughs> but I didn't know it. First, I drew it, and after a while, I was watching um, a, a book by George Herriman, and 
seeing the picture, I say, oh my God, but this looks very much, I mean, I have done Harriman with Celestino Villarosa. This is, his face is, is kind of, you know, uh, he is kind of uh, Harriman. Yeah. But uh, what I want to tell, it is, uh, you know, uh, this is stories, to, there are two parallel stories of two dreamers. Baobab is about uh, uh, Celestino Villarosa, which lives in South America in a little state called Parador, and uh, uh, Hiroshi, which is living, is a children that lives uh, uh, in uh, Tokyo, uh, in the country, uh, immediately out of Tokyo, uh, with uh, his grandmother. And these two people are two dreamers, they, their life uh, will be influenced one by the other without that they will, ne will ever know it. It's just uh, a happening that will happen at page uh, 350, something like this. <laughs> and uh, so the point was uh, to speak about uh, life uh, in the beginning with this kind of purity of the attitude of to dreamers and in a way Celestino is a pioneer I mean is uh, someone like uh, uh, Feininger or uh, Harriman itself that uh, in the 10th or the 20s of the last century they invented comics I mean they were seen things from uh, uh, art and they were influenced by just the first thing coming out in cinema and they were very taken by uh, satirical drawings of a magazine, German magazine, which were involved with very great artists including after uh, George Groth and uh, other Otto Dix and so on. Um, so the point was uh, how you know, we know a lot of things of how for instance the uh, Picasso and Braque created cub cubism, but how was the life of a cartoonist that was inventing our language mm -hmm. in the beginning of the, uh, the 20th century? Uh, this was very uh, mysterious, uh, very interesting for me. You know, there was not uh, always electricity, it was just starting, and uh, we were going to a very strong war which was the first uh, world war and uh, uh, it looked to be everything like perfect it was like uh, the acme of like the the, the top of a, of a situation of a of an era it was uh, and after it came the war and destroyed everything i mean and that moment uh, uh, there were people that were dreaming to use the language to invent a new language visual language which were comics so, it I think it's a really big adventure, and so there are there is the story of Celestino, Celestino, and after he has a very strong friend, which is Pila, that, that leaves, and his intention his intention is to 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 live uh, and uh, uh, develop his work in uh, America. So in the field of animation, so he will work with Ed Sullivan to create Felix the Cat, etc., etc. So it is kind of uh, 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 Pandora, uh, 
Pandora box, you know, this mm. is kind of that you, you will find a lot of things inside and uh, all these kind of combinations uh, are supposed to be like a sort of fresco in my mind. I would like to portray an epoch, a, a period. I'm curious, like you say about how um, Feininger and Harriman kind of created comics. Mm. What do you mean uh, specifically by 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 those two? Because we both know that there are other cartoonists at that time, um, but it seems like there's something particular about what they were doing that you're referring to. I I was uh, and I have always been very touched but since I respect very much their work. I mean, it's a very so complicated, complex. I mean, so rich work that for me it has been always a point of reference uh, but even you know if you go now in I don't know Matotti's house in Paris and you meet Munoz and Spiegelman they they, they will be speaking about Feininger you know and uh, it's kind of uh, very big very strong it's like uh, to consider I don't know Orson Welles in cinema you can't yeah. think that uh, it's, it's very very influential so, um, for uh, I mean, for historical reasons, uh, Harriman uh, was working the beginning of the twenties, and comics were started to be published at the beginning of the century. So, twenty years, fifteen years, not even fifteen years before around. And uh, uh, one of the very first comics uh, has been uh, Kinder Kids. Yeah, it was uh, immediately after. Buster Brown uh, and after Yellow Kid, so uh, they had nothing to. I mean, they had complete, t total, complete freedom, but they had nothing uh, to watch, just their own uh, experience, and uh, so they had to uh, fix some rules to understand how was this uh, language working. And they were publishing day by day in the magazines, in, in sorry, in the newspapers. So imagine, imagine they arrived to million people, and uh, uh, they could reach a million people, and they could be, uh, they could have a feedback immediately. Yeah. It was much more like a theater. Now it is like internet. You can have something like this. It's internet. Internet is interesting for this reason, mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, but but in this, uh, I mean, it's very very uh, rich experience, and for me, it was very interesting to put myself uh, in the trousers of these uh, uh, drawers. I mean, the kind of enthusiasm I imagine. You know, you are a comic artist. You are drawing. You start seeing, for instance, uh, Japanese. Uh, uh, a print, print, uh, Japanese prints, uh, the wood, wood block prints, mm -hmm. and uh, you you discover another approach on drawing, you know, which is uh, they were doing in a way. Uh, comics were invented by by Okuzai in the 18th century because they were printed sequences, sequences, and uh, even the word of manga was invented by him. I mean, but uh, what kind of you know? I know that impressionists, when they saw these uh, prints, they were completely shocked by the beauty. And so, after you know, in nineteenth oh six, Picasso 
paint the Damoiselle d'Avignon. It's the first cubist cubist uh, painting, you know. And yeah. what? Imagine it arrives. Uh, what, what could be the surprise for people drawing, understanding this? Uh, you know, I have seen things like. Uh, uh, you know, in an Autodix exhibition in Paris, uh, there was a painting uh, realized in 29th, in, in 1929, and uh, there were two paintings of the same epoch. In one, you could see that uh, he was very, very good, uh, his skill was very high, and in the second one, he decided that he did not want to draw good. So, this kind, this kind of uh, uh, destruction of uh, skill it's very interesting and it, it starts in that time. So all these kind of problems uh, must have been very shocking for a young artist that is invented a language. That is literally inventing a language in that, in that period. So I want to show this kind of pioneerism in art and uh, Baobab is about this, about the sense of wonder, the sense of dream. This is a story of two dreamers, and one will influence completely the life of the other without even knowing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very excited to see where it goes. I've <laughs> enjoyed what's come out so far. Uh, <laughs> I guess there's a, a, a lot left. Um, thank you for taking the time with me today, Igor. Um, it's a pleasure. It's, a pleasure. it's been a really fascinating discussion. Um, a lot to think about and I really appreciate uh, just for listeners this is uh, Igor and uh, his latest work is Baobab uh, from Fanographics Dulled Feelings very much out of print Luckily, lucky if you can find it as well as 5 is a perfect number for John and Quarterly and hopefully one day in English your uh, Ukrainian diaries we are working on it working on it alright well thank you so much sir uh -huh.